Well, it's Palm Sunday, and our thoughts this evening go to that passage in Matthew 27, and that wonderful, triumphant, and tragic occurrence as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem at the beginning of the last week of his life before his crucifixion. And strangely this evening, I want to think about how people were disappointed in that week. How people were disappointed in that week. I don't know if you've ever had high hopes of something only to be disappointed. Disappointment comes when you've got high expectations of something and then you suddenly find that those expectations are dashed and you're left disappointed. I can remember many years ago, one Christmas morning, and you always know that if somebody's got a very special present for you, on Christmas morning, it sort of gets pushed up to the very front of the queue, doesn't it? And the first present I opened, I unwrapped the paper, and inside was a cardboard box, and I could read on the cardboard box printed on it, Sony camcorder. And there was a photograph of a video camera. And I have to say, I was excited. But something didn't quite feel right. And I I opened the box to find that there was absolutely nothing in the box. It was totally empty. Now, this wasn't a joke. It wasn't somebody having a, a laugh at my expense. But what had happened was that Belinda had bought this present for me and she'd gone to the shop and the only uh, model they had was actually on display in the shop window. And the rather daft shop assistant never actually took the camera out of the shop window and put it in the box, just gave Belinda the box and took the money. (laughs) So I was disappointed. And as we read through this gospel narrative, we find a number of people are disappointed in Jesus. There's a mixture of emotions at the start of this week to the cross. The crowds are really excited. And what has stirred them up is the fact that they have seen a miracle, Lazarus raised from the dead. That was a very public spectacle. Lots of people were there and witnessed this remarkable event. And they were excited. Was this the Messiah? who'd been promised, who was actually going to turf out the occupying Roman Empire. The Pharisees, they had mixed emotions because they were mildly terrified at all the uproar about Jesus. The disciples were really buoyed up. On this day of all days, they could see all the crowds coming in adulation to Jesus and suddenly... They were buoyed up by it all. And then there's Jesus himself. And the other gospel writers tell us that on this day, Jesus wept as he went into Jerusalem. Jesus was heartbroken as he looked at the city of God. And God's chosen people were in the process of rejecting God's salvation, God's saviour. Well, on that Palm Sunday in AD 30, there were actually two processions entering Jerusalem that day. 
From the east comes Jesus with his disciples down the Mount of Olives, entering, riding the donkey. But from the west comes an altogether different procession. If we read the Roman historians, they tell us that on that day, the governor of that region, Pontius Pilate, was entering Jerusalem at the head of a large column of Roman soldiers. Now, the governor would always be in the capital for any religious festival, and the Passover was a particularly important one. The Passover celebrates the liberation of the Israelites from an oppressor, Egypt. But the parallel wouldn't have been lost on the occupying Romans. Rome had occupied Judea about 80 years before, and they deposed the king, and they ruthlessly enforced their laws and their rule. There were various uprisings, and they were all brutally put down. And in 4 BC, after the death of Herod, there was another uprising, and over 2,000 Jews were crucified in response to that uprising. So as the population swells for the Passover feast here in Jerusalem, Pilate brings his troops in from their headquarters on the coast at Caesarea. And he brings them down to Jerusalem and he garrisons them right next to the temple compound in the Antonia Fortress. This is a message of strength. This is a message to see down any opposition. Pilate marches his army through the western gate. Wave upon wave of horses, chariots, foot soldiers, a formidable militia. And in the east comes Jesus. Not on horseback, but on a donkey. Not with an army, but with a band of worshippers. There'd been a buzz around, a buzz around Jesus ever since Lazarus had been raised. And people were fascinated. And people were excited. And people flocked to see this Jesus. And here he comes riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And the significance of that would not have been lost on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Riding on a donkey is not uncommon, but a venerated leader with his followers behind him coming into Jerusalem on a donkey was something that they would have recognized from that prophecy that Barbara read to us earlier in Zechariah. They would have known Zechariah's prophecy off by heart. But it wasn't the donkey bit, which is the bit that captivates us, that would have interested them about that. It was the verse that followed, which we don't read. Let me read those two verses together and you see what they were excited about. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So it wasn't just the coming king that excited them. It was the prospect of what he would do. He will drive the war horses from Jerusalem. 
So you can see why they would recognize him and throw their palm branches before him. The one who had raised the dead. This has all the signs of the liberating Messiah, the one who was prophesied about, the one who they believed would set them free, the one who would reign victorious in Jerusalem. And we read the whole city was stirred. But in just five days, there would be disappointment. Because the cries went from Hosanna, save us, to shouts of crucify, crucify. Jesus hadn't come to evict the Romans. Jesus hadn't come to give them freedom from their captive. Jesus hadn't come to lead them in the pattern of King David. They were disappointed. The crowds were disappointed. The disciples were disappointed. When they came down the Mount of Olives, they were singing their hearts out. Five days later, their hopes had been dashed. Their leader was dead, and they had all either fled or denied him. Shattered hopes, faded dreams, disappointment. And for his family and friends who would stand there at the foot of the cross, the word disappointment is the wrong word. They were heartbroken, shattered, comfortless. They were in despair and they were weeping as they made their way down from Calvary. Their world had fallen apart. So dreams and hopes lie in tatters all over the place as Nicodemus and as Joseph come and take the body down and prepare it for burial. Disappointment reigned because each of those groups was looking for the wrong thing. Jesus hadn't given them what they wanted. They had their hearts set on what he would do for them. And he hadn't delivered. But Jesus didn't come to give us what we wanted. He came to give us what we need. Jerusalem as a city didn't need a liberator, it needed a saviour. The disciples didn't need a victorious leader, they needed a saviour. The friends and family didn't need a companion, a son, a brother, they needed a saviour. And so as the dawn light on Easter day illuminated the empty tomb, and as Mary heard her name being called out in the garden, Jesus resurrected, risen, alive, had done for them and for the whole world more than anyone could ever have thought or asked. Disappointment had turned to triumph. Despair turned to hope. Death turned to life. Jesus didn't come to give us what we want. He came to give us what we need. Now, we would never say that we are disappointed in Jesus. I can't imagine any one of us here ever saying that we are disappointed in Jesus. But you know, sometimes our attitudes reveal something a little different. You see, not all the followers on that Palm Sunday were standing there shouting, crucify, crucify. But they were simply not there. They'd melted away into the background. They were no longer hopeful, no longer engaged, 
no longer really following. And if this Holy Week, it's the same with us. If we're not engaged, if we're not part of his passion this week, if we're not walking and journeying with him, it might be because we have become disillusioned and disappointed. Maybe we have a vision of what we want from Jesus and we haven't got it. Maybe we want circumstances to change. Maybe we want prayers that are seemingly unanswered to be answered. And as a result, coolness comes into our relationship with Jesus because he doesn't give us what we think we want. But Jesus doesn't come to give us what we want. He comes to give us what we need. And we can be full of rejoicing and full of hope and full of songs in our hearts if we receive from Jesus what we need. If Jesus had purged Jerusalem that week and the Roman conquerors had fled, Jesus would have been celebrated there for generations to come. They might even have named the city after him. But what was needed was not victory over the Romans, but victory over sin and death. It wasn't freedom for the Jews, it was freedom in Christ. It was not a life free of subjection, but eternal life as sons and daughters of the living God. So the people who saw those two processions coming into Jerusalem had a choice. They could have chosen to serve the God of this world, the God who appeared to come in power and might, the God of Rome. Or they could have chosen a different king, a king who came to bring peace, to bring shalom, a king who came to usher in a very different kingdom. God comes to us not so that he can serve us, so then we can serve him. If we think he has come to serve us, we will be disappointed. But if we live in awe and rejoicing, serving him, then we will not be disappointed. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. Let's pray together.